Good morning. How are we all doing? We good? Okay. Um, three of you are fine. Um, and the rest are, yeah, good. Um, we, I, I've, got this, I've got the challenge. Um, now, last time I broke all the rules because I had to round up the series and preach and ended up um, getting a bit of grief from the people that I'd said, we need to stick to time because I had two jobs to do. And now I've got it again, where I've got to introduce the series. And so um, that's going to be quite busy. But let's rattle on, shall we, and see how we get on. I'd like you, if you have a Bible, um, real or electronic, no, it's a real Bible, but it's electronic, but uh, just difficult to flip back and forward, isn't it? And where do you put your post-its? Um, but if you have your Bible, to look at Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1. So the book of Second Corinthians chapter 1. Thank you, Ray. And we're going to read just the first 11 verses of chapter 1, which goes like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, in the church of God in Corinth, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Acacia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardship we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, for so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope, and He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many." And we just saw the story of the very thing that Paul is referencing in this letter. That is that they were in jail in Philippi and thought they were going to die. Okay, so we're just talking this series, last series. What, can you remember the theme last series? Hearing, yes, hearing and responding to God. So this time we're going to move on to instead of responding to God, we're going to talk this series about relying on God. 
And relying on God is going to be a study in 2 Corinthians. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians passage by passage by passage with a range of speakers coming and just sharing their revelation from God about relying on God. Paul says about his danger and his troubles where he thought he was going to die, said, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Way back when David was writing, which was over a thousand years BC, he said, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. And his son, Solomon, who didn't actually do this, by the way, said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So, this is about trusting completely in God. Can we be completely reliant on God? I mean, what does this mean in everyday life? That's what we're going to talk about over this series. What does this mean in everyday life? Because those are not the values that the world represents, and they're not the values we're brought up with. The world is very much telling us, take what you can. Look after yourself, yours and yours, you know, yours and your own. Self-reliance. Make sure you're covered. I mean, insurance is a multi-million pound industry. Make sure you're covered. Always have something to fall back on. I always liked that one, really. Have something to fall back on. You've got these really good plans, son, says parents. But if none of them work out, have something to fall back on. That's a faith lifestyle, isn't it? How does this measure up against what Jesus said? So that's what, that's what we get told. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you'll eat or drink or about your body or what you wear. Isn't life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So, between now and Christmas, let's look at what that really means. Let's, let's just have a, a think about this. We're going to look also and reference the Psalms between 30 and 40, so Psalms 30 to 40, which are very similar. They're about trouble and about challenge and about sin and about people saying wrong things about us and about um, needs, about the future. They are the Psalms that are about life and relying on God. So, we're going to have a look at all these things. Now, we're not going to do it every week. We've got some other events going on during, um, during this time as well. But when we do, what's what we want to do is just sort of take some inspiration, some guidance, and look at relying on God. I mean, the truth is that one of the things we're talking about as a church, and for those of you who are, who are visiting or new to our church, one of the things we've been talking about in our church is about moving into a new season where we see things that we haven't seen before. Now, the only way that that happens is if God does it. And the only way that it's of any value is if God does it. 
And to some extent, relying on Him is about us getting out of His way and letting Him do it. But that's tricky because we get out of His way and let Him use us to do it. Ooh, certain control issues beginning to get hassled. Yes, you see what I'm saying? We've got to do some thinking about this. We've got to do some praying about this. So that's where we start. Now, it's a good place to start, and Paul starts a good place in 1 Corinthians to talk about times of trouble. And, and the reason that it's a good place to start is this, that what is the main reason for taking control? Because if you don't, you could get into trouble. That's the main reason. It's a protective behavior. It's, I will take control because if I don't, this law will go wrong and I'll get blamed. I will take control because they are going to waste everything and I'll do without. I'm going to take control because they cannot be relied on. I, do you follow what I'm saying? That really, trouble is the best place to start because really, control is about avoiding trouble. Okay, I have bad news for you. Trouble is inevitable. No matter how much control you take, trouble still finds you. Have you noticed that? That no matter how much control you take, trouble still finds you. I mean, frankly, that's not fair, isn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, that's, that's, that's really not how it should be. You know, the reality should be that the more effort you put into making everything absolutely covered, the better the result you should get. Why is that not the case? Well, because trouble is inevitable. Jesus said this, I have told you these things, and he was telling them all about him going to heaven and coming back and giving the Holy Spirit and the whole world hating them. Good news stuff. Um, and, and, you know, they were going to be betrayed by their family and so on and so on. He said, I have told you these things that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But what Jesus didn't say is, I have already arranged for your trouble to be removed, and also there is a plan which you can buy into whereby if you do get some trouble unexpectedly, we will give you a generous financial compensation to cover any losses. He didn't do that. Uh, no carriage clock either, by the way, I can just so I can say. And, and, you know, you think, well, that's not much of a promise. But you see, the thing is, if at any point, at any point in your life from this size upwards, you said yes to Jesus in your life, you have signed up for trouble. Too late. Trouble, inevitable. If you renounce Jesus, trouble. If you ignore the commitment you made years ago and live like it never mattered, trouble. I'll tell you why. If you renounce, Jesus says, those who acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father. Those who will not, I will not acknowledge before God. That's challenging, isn't it? 
It's kind of saying we've got one mediator between God and man, and he's kind of going, well, you know, you're a bit, so I'll be a bit. That's challenging, isn't it? That's trouble. That's a troubled soul going on there. If you're having that trouble, get some prayer. You need to sort that out. If you ignore what you've said, too late. I discovered this as a young man. I mean, I, I became a Christian before I'd had a good, serious, proper opportunity to sin. I just hadn't properly explored my sin options when I said yes to Jesus. Now, there came a point in my life where I felt that was a bit of a mistake, and I decided that I would just ignore all that stuff and, and see what else was around. And here is the problem. It was too late, because I already knew the truth, and I couldn't unknow it. So everything was just trouble. Trouble, too late. Trouble coming. So if you renounce Jesus, trouble. If you ignore him, trouble. Now, think about our Brad last week. We had a guy come and join us last week. He's very gifted, and he was very challenging, and he talked about foot in both camps. You've got a foot in both camps, trouble. You can't serve God and money, that Jesus said. You can't have a foot in both camps. So you try and compromise before you know it, trouble. And finally, sell out completely for Jesus. Not will cause you trouble. Any way up, however you turn this, you're in for trouble. Trouble inside, trouble outside, trouble all around, trouble from unexpected quarters. <sighs> trouble. It's inevitable. We have to look at the reality. All the systems of the world and many of the people in it hate Christians. Following Jesus will rub up against all the other systems in the world and make us uncomfortable. If we go against God for the whole of our lives, at the end of it, we'll meet Him with judgment. Now, up to now, we've talked about trouble. Now we're talking about trouble on a monumental scale. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God, is what Scripture says. And at the end of life, it is decreed for everyone to die once, and after that, judgment. So if we're talking trouble, we haven't really got to proper trouble yet until we talk about that. But we can't escape it. The Bible talks about it, and it's truth. If we try and go half and half, there's going to be pain, there's going to be let down, there's going to be disappointment. We're always going to end up, you know that little gnawing guilt thing? Do you know that thing that sort of goes there no matter how good everything is, it just sort of seems a little bit spoilt? You know, like a little bit of grit on your shoe when you're walking and you just, you know what I mean? It's <sighs> trouble. It just does everything. Guaranteed. Relationships, health, money, family, work, age, ah, emotions. Don't even get me started. Trouble guaranteed. 
So this is what Peter said. He said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering as though something strange was happening to you. There is nothing. So are you in trouble? Normal. Are you facing trouble? Ordinary. Are things not going how you want them? Predictable. Guess what? More to come, people. I love a positive sermon, don't you? <laughs> yeah, Sue, Sue's coming up. She's always good, yeah. And Tim, not so sure about James. <laughs> but anyway, yes, you can, yeah. Eventually. Okay, so trouble is inevitable. This concept that we will somehow be trouble-free is naive. And the idea that we can make choices, thank you Mark, we can make choices that reduce trouble is false. You cannot choose a path of least resistance as a Christian, because the whole of Satan's world resists you all the time. There is no path of least resistance. There's only a choice about what kind of trouble you get, not whether you get it or not. And that's just the reality. Now, if you're not a Christian and you reject all of this, you get just as much trouble. Life, you know, for whom, for whom is life trouble-free? Nobody. So. Okay, number two. This is what God promises. And this is exciting, because God promises us help and comfort. What God does not promise us is escape and immunity. Help and comfort is what we are promised. Sometimes escape, occasionally immunity, but how would you know? Because it just doesn't happen to you, and you probably don't know. And the Bible tells us that wars go on in the spiritual realm on our behalf, and half the time, ladies and gentlemen, I include myself in this, we don't actually know what it is that we've been rescued from. We will find out in glory. But escape and immunity is not an immediate promise in the Bible. Occasionally, God rescues people. Quite often, I believe, we are spared much. Some of it we see, some of it we don't. Here's what, here's what David said again. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, which means the bottom falls out of your world, and the, mount, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, which means that which we relied on as permanent falls apart. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, that we feel threatened, even overwhelmed to the point where everything looks like it's all going to go wrong, God is our present help and strength. And that's our promise. In Paul in prison, 
he did not expect to escape. They said, or Paul said, we despaired even of life. They thought that was it. They were in the stocks. They, they thought that they were going to get beaten to the point of death and then executed. But God was with them to help them and comfort them. And before they were released, they were showing signs of help and comfort. Does that make sense? Help and comfort. Now, we know, and it's true, that they were rescued this time. But even if they weren't, even if they weren't, and we know about Paul, we know eventually Paul was put in prison and he wasn't released. He was, he was executed, probably beheaded. But we know that while he was in prison waiting for execution, he witnessed to the soldiers who guarded him, the lawyers who came round. He had Christians from other churches come and visit, and he gave them instruction and, and teaching and encouragement because God gave him help and comfort in his trouble without actually rescuing him from it because he is already rescued. He's going to eternal life. He's already escaping the worst trouble of all, judgment. So, that's our promise. That's what we have to look for. See, I believe in miracles, and I like them when they happen. And when people are miraculously healed, it's very exciting, and I'm really happy. And I pray for it a lot. But not everyone is healed. Some people are healed, some people are not. Not everyone rescues. Some, some are saved, some are martyred. When I preach the gospel, when I speak to people, when I share, when I witness, some people come to Jesus, hallelujah. Some people don't, hallelujah. We have, we're not guaranteed. Some bend the knees, some don't. I, I was talking last week, and I was talking about um, Revelation that God will give us answers. I've spent, I don't know, most of my adult life saying to people when they say, I don't understand this, or I can't follow this, I've said, why don't you go and ask God? And they say, thank you very much. And we pray, and off they go. And then they come back six weeks later and go, well, I'm really uh, still struggling with that. I say, well, what did God say when you asked them? And you look at that look in their eyes that says, well, I wouldn't know because I haven't asked them yet. Well, what can I do about that? I've, I feel I've given the best advice I can, check with the boss. I can't make people do it. Does that mean that I get discouraged? Nah, sometimes. Should, should I get discouraged? No. Because I am looking to God for my help and comfort, not for other people's success or otherwise. That's up to him, not up to me. So, outside of the Christian experience, people cling to wealth, their rightness, their self-sufficiency. Um, people love their hang-ups and their rage and their pride and whatever. Maybe you do. Maybe you've got some people that you're really angry with that give you a good reveling session. Do you do that? Probably not. 
Okay, you know, we, we have things that we compensate ourselves with that become really important. You have your little comforts, maybe your big expensive comforts. I don't know. Do, do you have them? Do they become your comfort rather than God? Are they what you run to? They will be empty. They will be hollow. But even so, God is not a guarantee that we escape in that sense. We think about the three people who went in the fiery furnace. We talked about it over the, over the summer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember them? When I was a kid, we used to be my shack, your shack, and a bendy toy we used to talk about. But um, anyway, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, you can throw us in this fiery furnace, but we're not going to bow the knee. And we believe that God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow the knee. Now, at the end of the day, there is no escape. So you are 25 years old and sick to the point of death, and God miraculously heals you, and you are now alive. When you are 85 or 90, you will be older at the point of death, and you will not be miraculously saved. You will die, and so will I. And then the judgment. There is no escape from the judgment, except through Jesus. You see, when I say that we are not guaranteed escape or immunity, I only mean we're not guaranteed escape or immunity from the small stuff, like being beaten up and going to prison and being tortured, you know, the little things. We're, we're not guaranteed immunity from them. But the big one, which is to be battered to our prostrate skeletal state before the immense glory of God with all our sin exposed to the whole of heaven and the fires of hell waiting for us, we're offered an escape. I know it's not trendy to mention these things, but I'm afraid they're in the Bible. Who, how can we escape, Paul says, if we neglect such an immense salvation? So we are rescued. Okay, but what does that mean? That means we cannot rely on ourselves. Can anyone stand before God and go, no, God, you're wrong. I have mistake here. I think you'll find that I'm every bit as good as you. No one can do that. We're arrogant if we think we are. And you hear it, you hear it but it's arrogance. We have to rely on God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. The whole point of this first chapter that Paul talks about is this, is that we have got nothing which stands up to examination except Jesus. And everything else will get burned away that is not built in Jesus' name. And it's a tough message in a way, but that's what it is. And the challenge for us is not to look for escape, not to look for comfort, not to look for compensation, not to look for unnecessary ways out, but to look to Jesus, who will then save us. And who knows? Because it happens. 
If we're sick, we are miraculously healed, and it really happens. If we are in trouble and things are going badly wrong in relationships, in work, in all manner of circumstances, in our finances, things change. We don't know how they changed, but they changed. We're facing really uncomfortable confrontations. You ever, you ever had that? I don't know. Who, who here likes a confrontation? Who likes a good confrontation? I hate it. I worry. I lose sleep. Do you? I, I don't like it. And then I pray a lot, and I pray a lot, and I pray a lot, and I get to the point and to the person, and they are not what my panicked mind had convinced myself that they were going to be. And in fact, God got there before and has already smoothed. Has that happened to you? Okay, that's not a miracle then, is it? Yeah, you know, I mean, God's promises are, are that He will go ahead. They're not real then, are they? Oh, we can rely on God. Yes, we can. We, let's rely on God and worry till we get there. Absolutely. Is that your plan? Hey, hey, good plan. Yeah. You know, what I'm saying is that, that we can't live our lives running away from things that might never happen, and that if things do happen, God will be our comfort. We cannot live in a little box quivering. I want to tell you a story. It's a great story. Arlene and I moved to Much Wenlock, and the week we moved to Much Wenlock, there was a story in the Shropshire Star, and it was a brilliant story because we were just moving to Much Wenlock, and we hadn't been there, and there was this story, and it was about a gang of youths that rampaged down the high street late at night and could have caused hundreds of pounds worth of damage to cars and property. You could look at this and think, my goodness, what are we moving to? You know what I mean? Much Wenlock, it's the Broadwater Farm of Shropshire. It's, you know what I mean? It's, it's, how can we do that? Yeah. <laughs> Don't mention Broadwater Farm, darling. I had to go on, on the night of the riots. <laughs> but that's another story. And I said, well, here I am. I did. I went on the night of the riots in Broadwater Farm in Tottenham where police officers were murdered, I had to go to the 15th floor and knock on the door and tell somebody, I've had a report that you're abusing your child. Can I come in and see your child, please? And here I am. Does God rescue you? Yeah, absolutely. And I thought he was going to smack me, he'd hang me, he'd throw me out the window and whatever, but actually the predictable thing happened, which almost always happened, which was the person looked at me and said, who told you? That's always, but it's, God was there ahead. So there we go. Anyway, anyway, so this rampaging group, do you know what it was? It was quarter to eight at night. It was three 11 year olds walking up the high street and they were singing, Things Can Only Get Better. <laughs> but up in a flat, there was a 93-year-old woman who was, by media lies, so terrified of the fresh air outside that she phoned the police and phoned the papers. That fear was a construct in here from lies 
going in here. But it was real to her. Is that your experience of being a Christian out there? Because we can't shy away from this. Okay, so, the more we stand up, the more we learn to be patient. The more we stand up, the more. This is what Job said. He said, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. Because he was in the middle and it was all going wrong. But in reality, we know that God answered Job's prayer. Just not right away. He had to learn to be patient. Who likes patient? See, nobody likes patient. Patient just takes too long, doesn't it? Let's be honest. It really does. It is true. But we are called to learn to be patient and to be enduring. What we know is that when we physically train, it's the hard stuff that makes us fit, isn't it? It's the hills. It's the going up. It, it's the mountain, you know. It, it, it's the fight back from injury that you hear a lot of professionals talk about, the fight back from injury and sticking with it, you know, to, to build back a career after, after. It's the hard stuff that makes us strong and makes us fit. I was, we were watching um, a triathlon, and it was a very difficult condition. I like my sport. I was watching the triathlon, and the commentator, who was an ex-triathlete, said, the winner of this will be the person who can put up with the most pain. That's who's going to win this. And, and, you know, that's what it was. It was an endurance race, and the person whose miles and whose difficulties and whose determination had put them in that position where they were less intimidated by feeling bad than everybody else was going to win the race. And there's a truth about that in Christianity. I know I'm probably not doing a good sailing job here, but, you know, that's the reality. It says here, this is about this where we talk about our faith being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we can't see. This is what we can be sure of help and comfort from God. This is, in, this is in the passage. We can be sure to learn patience and endurance so next time it's not as bad as this time. We can be sure that our faith will grow so that the adventure we can go on next can be bigger than this one. We can be sure that we can be an encouragement to others. I don't know about you, I get blessed by that. I can tell people who are struggling that it's not forever and that God is there. And I can pray in faith because I know. We can be sure that our prayer life will improve. I was reading just this week and somebody said, nobody has to teach anybody on a sinking ship how to pray. And it's true. You know what I mean? When we're in trouble, that's when we learn how to pray. It's good and it's exciting. And we have to remember that. Prayer helps. Paul felt strongly that his rescue was based on the prayers of many. And as a church, there's an opportunity for us to build our prayer life so that we can see a difference made in our individual lives and beyond. Have you battled for that loved one that you want to see come to Jesus never really happened. Always, have you battled on your own? Battle with a few more of us. Have you struggled with that personal situation that is difficult to overcome? 
difficult to feel right. Sometimes you just fall into despair or rage or anger or just give up. Struggle with a few other people together. That's what a body is for. Let's share. Let's do that. That's our principle. And this is what we know. Because we know that trouble is inevitable, we know that God's comfort is readily available. And that's what I'm saying. So here we go. What to learn from this? Number one, don't invite trouble, but don't unnecessarily avoid it. Paul says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That makes sense, doesn't it? What this is not, ladies and gentlemen, is a license for cowardice. This is not a license to shut the mouth when we have to say. It is a license to stop being quite so argumentative on your own front. It, it is a license to be less judgmental when people really irritate you. Goodness knows that's a challenge for me. There's a lot of irritating people in the world. <laughs> Some of them drive. Anyway, 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 anyway that's, that's by the by. Do you know, it, it, it is permission to be self-controlled and gracious, but it is not permission to look and think, they might not react well to me mentioning Jesus, therefore I won't mention Jesus. That's not what it means. They may react badly if I say, well, actually, I can't go along with that because God's Word doesn't permit it. It's not a license to do that. Wherever it is possible, but do not back down because it might cause trouble. Remember a rampaging gang going up Wenlock High Street who might have caused damage to property and cars. Let God fight your battles. Don't avoid it. We are com commanded to be witnesses for Jesus. Don't back down because it might, might cause trouble. Secondly, look for help and comfort. If, if in, in your prayer life and your faith life it is this, it's escape or nothing, you are missing out on a whole area of spiritual experience. If it is, I am sick and either I'm healed or God doesn't exist. You know, I am in trouble, either I'm immediately rescued or God isn't there. You know, I have troublesome, trouble in my family, unless it's immediately peaceful, Jesus doesn't have any power. Do you understand what I'm saying? If, if, these are, if, it's, if, it's, if it's complete escape or, you are not understanding a walk of faith. Look for help and comfort. Look for where the blessings are. The trouble is where you grow strong and grow close to Jesus. Look for that. Even Jesus prayed, let this cup pass from me, and God said, no. Jesus knew God was saying no, so He said, nevertheless, your will, not mine. Even Jesus wanted it to go away, but God was His help and comfort. You haven't to let the lies go in here, you know what I mean? It, you know, oh, you haven't got enough faith, 
you know, God's not, God doesn't love you, it's not fair. Do you know those things that, God, you've prayed for how many people healing? Nobody's been healed. There must be something wrong with you. That's not true. Does that mean you stop praying for healing? No, because the next miracle and the next miracle is always there. I have prayed for myself. I haven't got better. I've said to Lord, take this temptation away. Take this weakness away. Take this addiction away. Take this, and it hasn't, and I've struggled. Does that mean he doesn't care? No. Does that mean it's not going to happen? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that you are on a journey to help you persevere, become strong, become faithful, and know the God that we're talking about. Learn to recognize this. It's not lack of faith. It's maturity. It's not that we don't believe a miracle because they happen, and sometimes they really take you by surprise. Just when you think it's not going to happen, it happens. So don't stop taking risks because we have a God of miracles. But at the same time, see the rest for you and for others. Paul asked three times for whatever it was that tormented him to be removed, and God said no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Look for help and comfort. Learn to recognize that. This is what Paul said. He said, it's for Christ's sake I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, and in difficulties. I delight in them, for when I'm weak, I'm strong. The last thing, and I really will finish, learn to pray, ladies and gentlemen. This is what Paul and Silas learned to do. Not, and by pray, I mean not wallow. Can you wallow? Are you a good wallower? That's a standard wallow pose. You're looking around, people look very composable. See them at home, wallowing. We all wallow. Don't wallow. Paul and Silas, feet in stocks, backs bleeding, dark rats, probably not mice, but rats, you know, what are they singing? You know what I mean? What are they singing? Are they singing, I don't want to be an evangelist. Looks like my life has ceased. I wish I'd listened to my mother and become a dentist. I mean, they're not singing that. They're singing praise to our God and Father who has lifted us from the miry clay, who has put our feet on solid rock. Who are, this is, this is what, he's, what they are doing. What are you doing when trouble comes? You know, what is it? Is it, is it self-pity? I do a good self-pity, by the way. I'm good at, I'm good at self-pity. Is it chocolate or alcohol or shopping or driving really fast and telling all the other drivers that are in your way how badly they are doing? Is it, you know, is it that rage? Is it, is it the sleepless nights and going round and round and round and round and round and round and round about how much worse it could be? You know, what, what is it? What is it you do that isn't, that isn't praising God for His goodness to give you the privilege of having this trouble? Now, that's not how the world thinks, is it? But we pray, and praying is more than, get me out, God, get me out, God, get me out, God, get me out. Prayer is, thank you, Jesus for my salvation. Praise you, God. Look at the wonders of your creation. Look at the amazing things that you have done. Listen, Satan, my God is bigger. 
He who began a good work in me is faithful to create. It, it is the whole gambit of declaration, proclamation. It's also silence. It's about shut up. Stop going over it and give God a chance to say something. It's all these things. Prayer, ladies and gentlemen, big change. James says this, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed, not just physically. This is the context, you know, that sin gets us wrong. Paul says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in the answers to prayers of many. That's how Paul finishes his prison sentence. How do you finish yours? Let's learn to pray. So don't back down to avoid trouble. It won't work. Stand up. Speak up. Learn to be patient and strong and endure. And above all, everything else. Pray. Pray on your own. Pray with others. Pray with the body. Pray with me now. If you want prayer today for any situation, see me, I'm happy to pray with you. We have people with badges on. It says prayer and encouragement. They are happy to pray with you too you don't want to come up the front, do not leave something unprayed for that needs attention. Trouble, ladies and gentlemen, is inevitable, but we can rely on the God of help and comfort to change who we are so that through patience and endurance, we are a comfort to others and stand at the last day. That's our hope. That's our excitement. That's what we need to learn. Isn't that exciting? We are not part of the world. We are part of eternity, ladies and gentlemen. And that's what we have to get ready for. It's exciting. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You that You are the God of all comfort, that You are a very ready help in trouble, that You are the person we can come to through Jesus with anything. We know how many times you have miraculously rescued us and those we love. We know how many times you have, for our good, encouraged us to walk through difficulties and troubles. We thank you for our troubles. We thank you for the challenges. We thank you because it has enabled us to see your miraculous hand at work when we've escaped, and it's enabled us to learn that Jesus is the only person that we can lean on and rely on in our lives, Lord. We just thank You for the work You've done. Lord, speak to us. If we've been a long way off, speak to us so we might come close. If we have never put our trust in You, Lord, speak now that we might start. If we are in trouble, Lord, help us to share that within the body and to look for help and comfort. Lord, we want to be a comfort to this town. Enable us to rely on You first that we might comfort others. We just pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.